Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org radio.org. Now, here's our show today. Do you realize that the subject of the two bookends of the Bible is the same? It is marriage. The Bible both begins and ends with the loving union of a husband and a wife. In Genesis chapter 2, the couple is Adam and Eve. And in Revelation 21 and 22, the couple is Christ and the church which has become the New Jerusalem. In fact, the entire Bible is the story of a romance, a romance between God and his corporate people. In Genesis, Adam is really a type of Christ, and Eve a type of the church. In Song of Songs, Solomon typifies Christ, while the Shulamite maiden represents the church. And in the books of the prophets, the bride is typified by the nation of Israel. So now we can see that truly the Bible is a romance, the story of a divine person pursuing, wooing, and eventually winning the delight of his heart. By Revelation 21, we are told that the bride has made herself ready and that she is spotless and without blemish. But she was not always so, as we see in many places in the Bible, like Hosea. This bride needs much work before she can be ready to be presented to the most lovely and attractive one in the universe, the Lamb of God, our dear Lord Jesus, our Bridegroom. Francis Ball has joined us. We've come to Life Study, message number two in our new book, uh, the book of Hosea, really a small part of a series of programs that we'll be doing on the minor prophets in the Old Testament, really the books that conclude the Old Testament. Francis, uh, once again, we come back to this very favorite theme of Witness Lee, and I would have to say, as we said in our previous program, it's not just a favorite theme of Witness Lee, it's a favorite theme of the whole Bible, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm quite amazed at a book like Hosea would come in at this point, but I think we'll see, as we go through this program today, a fresh light as to why God has to deal with his people as he does in order to get a pure bride for himself. Yes, Francis, you know... um, Considering uh, we were talking a bit about this again in our previous program, but I think it's good to bring it up. I think everyone's familiar that the Bible begins, you know, with the story of Adam and Eve. Some may be familiar with the fact that at the end of the Bible, we have uh, the New Jerusalem descending as a bride. 
uh, prepared and adorned for her husband. Uh, so we have a wedding at each end, but not that many people, I think, connect these two weddings and, and uh, this whole matter of marriage and the courtship that uh, is unveiled in the entire Bible. This is really a revelation, isn't it? I think many people have the concept that once you get saved, you just go to heaven, and there's no such thought about a marriage coming and something being here on earth in an eternal way to express this love relationship that God has with his people. There are many examples in the Old Testament that point this direction, and of course the New Testament ends with this very beautiful picture of the bride and the groom, Christ himself being the groom and the church being the bride. Right. Of course, the Apostle Paul dwells on this theme uh, frequently in his writings in the epistles. He espoused the Corinthians as a chaste virgin to one husband. Again, a real picture of the church in the female role here in this union, this marriage that's uh, coming. But the prototype, the first one, is Adam and Eve. Then we have these books of history, the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. And very much this uh, relationship is seen between Jehovah and the nation of Israel representing his corporate people. And Israel typifies us as the church very much, doesn't it? Because Israel's condition was not always or very frequently that proper in terms of being the kind of wife that God would have to have. Yes, I was rather shocked at the beginning of this book that we're looking at today, the book of Hosea, to see what God told Hosea to do, representing his people, Israel. Right. He was telling her, this prophet, to go and take a harlot for a wife. And this really shocked me a little bit until I went through and realized that God is really jealous for the purity of his people that he wants to be the husband to. And so he was demonstrating through Hosea that Israel had really made herself adulterous in her living and her ways and really leaving her love affair for another way instead of God's pure way. Right. That's a a good introduction. Now we come to this book of Hosea. Hosea, one of the minor prophets, in about the 8th century B.C., his ministry, and by this time, as you just said, rightly, God's people Israel had really joined themselves to others beside him and had become uh, adulteresses and, in a sense, had become a kind of harlot to God. So God instructs his servant, Hosea, to go and take a harlot for a wife. Uh, He wants Hosea to know very well what it feels like uh, so that he could be a proper kind of uh, oracle for God during that era. All right, let's join Witness Lee with our first section of the life study of uh, Hosea today. Verse 1 in chapter 1 says, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beeri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. Again, uh, just to remind our listeners of the history, by this time Israel had split into the two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. Uh, The northern kingdom was the kingdom of Israel, and that's where Hosea was ministering. All right, here's Witness Lee with our first portion. In Hebrew, Hosea, the original name of Joshua, means salvation of Jehovah, denoting that Jehovah is the salvation. The time of Hosea's ministry, that's about uh, B.C. 785 to 725, about 60 years. The object of his ministry surely was not to go. The adulterous 
an apostate kingdom of Israel. That's terrible, right? This was the case of Israel being God's wife. The place of his ministry was the northern kingdom of Israel. At that time, Israel was divided into two nations. The northern one is called the kingdom of uh, Israel, and the southern one is called the kingdom of Judah. The subject of the book of Hosea is Jehovah, is the salvation to the adulteress and apostate Israel in receiving her back and restoring her. In spite of her kind of condition and position, God still would be salvation to her in receiving her back and restoring her. The sinful thought, regardless how adulterous Israel as the wife of Jehovah is, he still desires that she would return to him and he would still receive her, bring her back and restore her. Francis, if we uh, recall back to the uh, history books of the Old Testament, we remember that at this period of time, Israel had really gone and become totally involved with idolatry, really taking the pagan gods, the heathen gods. And in God's eyes, this is more than just a transgression, more than a sin. It's a kind of spiritual fornication. It implies uh, the most improper way to care for our relationship, our loving relationship with him. But isn't it amazing that even in spite of that, as we just heard, the central thought of this book is to show that regardless of how low and how poor Israel had become in her condition, God's desire was still to gain her back, that she would ultimately become a proper bride. What a merciful and compassionate God we have. I think this is so marvelous, Chris, that we get a picture of God here in a very pure way, even though in a a very sorry situation. Yet he is purely a God of love, and he will never drop his love, but he will exercise his chastisement. And this is something that we see in the poetic way that this is depicted in the book of Hosea. Uh, Brother Lee pointed out that this is quite a marvelous poetry here, but it's really an ugly picture. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I really feel like we need to see this in the true light of God's love and God's intention. God intends to chastise his people when they leave their relationship with him. And Israel had certainly left their relationship. And even they were divided into two nations, Israel on the north, as you mentioned, and Judah on the south. And there was some hope for Judah. But Israel had really given themselves over to idolatry and really could only be made clear about this in the way that God has done it, and that is to have his prophet to go and take a harlot Mm. as a wife and even produce children from that relationship that really was quite a picture of God's intention to rescue his people and also to judge the nations. Yeah, he's not going to give him just a message that he wants him to repeat to Israel. He's going to really draw Hosea into the experience that... uh, reflects what God is agonizing over as he's dealing with his own spouse. So let's pick this reading up. This is Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, 
take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it will come about on that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Francis, I know it's easy to get hung up on names in the Old Testament. I did want to include them in the reading today, because as we heard the definition or the meaning of the name Hosea, meaning the salvation of Jehovah, even as you pointed out, these children's names, these children of the harlot Gomer, the one that Hosea took as a wife, obeying God's command, these names are also significant. Ruhama means compassion. And when you add lo in Hebrew to the front of it, it means no compassion. So this daughter, lo Ruhama, that Gomer bore Hosea, really means a daughter with no compassion. And the word Ami means his people. So Lo-Ami, the name of the second son, the third born here, means that Israel is no longer God's people. These names are significant, as we'll see before the program ends today. But uh, let's get back to Witness Lee as we continue on this story of Hosea taking a harlot for a wife. God told his prophet Hosea to marry a harlot. Do you believe that our God, the pure God, the righteous God, would tell his prophet to get a harlot? It's terrible. The first time I read this chapter, I shook my head. If I ever, Hosea, I might be the second Jonah. <laughs> I cannot take this man command. I have to run away. I had to flee from God's presence. But Hosea was stronger. You know, his writing is all in poetry. Fourteen chapters, all are poetic. His composition, his writing is marvelous. In a poetic way, he describes all the sinfulness of Israel. And such a person, no doubt, did have a high character, yet he would take the commandment from God to get a hot kind of wife, hollered, and he did it. The prophet Hosea told Gomer, a wife of harlotries, symbolizing that God took Israel as his wife. <laughs> God did not only command his prophet to do this, God himself did it. How about this? Francis, I think we've somewhat um, already 
talked about this point, but let's talk about what we see in God's heart here. What kind of God must we have that he is willing even to continue his relationship with his people, even in such a case, in such a situation? God was willing to take a harlot as a spouse, as we see, you know, in this type with his uh, giving Hosea the same commandment that you must do as I have done. It really gives us a window into God's heart, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But I think we have to realize underneath that action and that commandment, there is a longing for his bride, his wife, Israel. And he is jealous in that sense. And jealousy is is an ugly word, but it applies in this case because God's loving people that he loved so much and rescued through many trials and testings, as we've seen throughout the Bible up to this point. And yet he still loves Israel, but they have turned away so much to such an extent that he has to demonstrate to them, not just to tell them that they have left him, but he has to demonstrate to them in this kind of way, in a way of kind of marriage. Mm. They had really taken on a harlotry living by turning away from God, their true husband, and turning to other things. So he wants to give them a demonstration in this particular way with his prophet of what they have done makes them no longer his people, no longer his bride, his wife. He's setting out, first of all, to bring them to their realize where they are and what they have done. And then he has a way in his love to recover them. So we see in this particular portion, this is the negative side of this poetry. Right. It's always uh, such a marvel to me that God has this overwhelming, as we'll see, everlasting love, yet at the same time he is righteousness and he is full of holiness. And as you said, he is a God of purity. And uh, when faced with such a situation, when his people, those whom he has chosen as the object of his love, uh, so much are not a match to him, it puts his being really in conflict. And yet the marvel is is that uh, his righteousness and his love get taken care of and satisfied as he works out his plan with his people in his economy. This is really tremendous, isn't it? It is. It's quite marvelous. God is everlasting (laughs) in his love, but he's still righteous in his dealings. Yes. But in a sense, he does here, and he tells his prophet to carry out for their awareness of what they have done and to bring them to repentance so they can be recovered back to God under his loving care. Well, now we come to a positive end to our our program today. Uh, If you recall these names, Lo-Ruhama and Lo-Ami, meaning no compassion and not my people. In chapter 2, verse 1, the situation changes. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, meaning compassion and my people. Here's Witness Lee for our final segment. You have to learn two things. Number one, God's love is everlasting. But number two, you have to realize this loving God is also the God of purity and the God of righteousness who cannot tolerate with any kind of uncleanness, any kind of unrighteousness. So, wherever these two things are, God's chastisement 
will come in. Even though they are Israelites went back to former nation, in a good sense, they are still under God's chastisement. You could see God's chastisement with God's everlasting love. So Jeremiah says, because of your compassion, we can still remain. It is by God's compassion that Israel today can remain. Here, we all have to learn the lesson. We have been chosen by God. We have been loved by Him. And His love is everlasting. But we should not indulge ourselves just because God is loving. No, we must be fearful and trembling and enjoy His everlasting love. Why? Once we would be just a little mistaken, we'll suffer. God comes in to deal with you. That dealing is on one hand loving, on the other hand chastising. I'd like you all to see this. Today, it is the same with us. Eventually, God's everlasting love is always victorious. The love gains the victory. So, Israel will be perfected. Hallelujah. Now, under God's victory of His love, Israel will be God's people. And Israel will obtain God's compassion. Francis, the very fact that we uh, are here doing what we're doing is evidence that God is a God of everlasting love. Yes. And I think all real saved ones have that same feeling. Uh, they realize that without such love, without such compassion, there would just be no way for us. Yet we should never take that love as a kind of an excuse to indulge ourselves, should we? I think, uh, Chris, you'd, you could relate this to a family situation. The parents love the children, but when they go so far away from the standard of the family and the desire of the parents, they will be chastised. They will suffer some kind of punishment. But this punishment is not an anger and is not a get-even. It is a recovery work. Mm-hmm. It's to recover this loving relationship in the family. And this is where God is now. He has this problem with the waywardness of Israel, but with his love for Israel, he will have to chastise them to regain them. And he's showing this by this demonstration with Hosea Mm -hmm. as the prophet. And so I think it's quite marvelous to see God has a way to uh, exercise his love, even in spite of such a gross disobedience of Israel, his earthly people. Well, it's a graphic start. I, I can't think of another book that has such a, uh, I, you know, I was relating to Witness Lee talking about as a young person reading this, he felt if he were Jose, he would have to do what Jonah did and, yeah. <laughs> and flee, uh, eventually be swallowed up in the belly of the big fish. But actually, when we see it in the light we have seen it today, we realize what a marvelous picture it portrays. God's dealing not just with Israel, but even with us, his New Testament bride, his New Testament Uh, corporate people. So the dealings we uh, experience from him are born out of his love and they have the, as their issue, as their object to produce a kind of proper, fitting, matching companion to share this love relationship for eternity. 
Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Of course, when you call, we'll tell you how you can receive the printed Life Study messages for the Life Studies of the Minor Prophets. It's one volume edition, 35 messages in total. Please be with us for our next program. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Weil. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you have any questions or would like to find other Christians in your area who also enjoy this ministry, feel free to call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29 Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.